0: Welcome to the RQI podcast, your weekly show dedicated to exploring the latest developments in research. I'm your host, Jackie Cameron. On today's show, we hear from Professor Joseph Turo, a world expert on power dynamics at the intersection of the media, digital marketing and society. The Robert Lewis Shayon Professor of Media Systems and Industries Professor at the Annenberg School of Communication, the University of Pennsylvania, has authored 12 books, edited five, and written more than 160 articles on mass media industries. He joins me, Jackie Cameron, to share some of his insights from his most recent research, which is published in his book, The Voice Catchers, how marketers listen in to exploit your emotions, your privacy and your wallet.
1: Increasingly, and this has been taking place over the last couple of decades, companies and other entities in our world are beginning to use voice to try to discover Who we are, to make inferences about us, to profile us. This happens most nowadays in contact centers when we call up companies on the phone, a lot of times they have software behind it on computers that listen to our voices, make decisions about us, connect uh, that to the history of our purchases, and then maybe triage us to people uh, in the contact centers who are supposedly good at dealing with people with that emotion or that personality. But eventually, uh, Google and uh, Amazon and even Pandora and Spotify have said that they reserve the right to use our voices for their marketing purposes. The question is, exactly what does that mean? We're not sure. But what I'm trying to do is alert people to the idea that this, in fact, is coming down the pike, that technologies exist, and we ought to worry.
0: It seems quite far-fetched in some ways. What can a computer really tell people about my voice, for example?
1: I have no clue what it's saying about your voice now, Jackie, but the fact is that scientists have done studies of the meaning of your voice. And I was talking to a woman, Rita Singh at Carnegie Mellon, who spends her life doing this stuff. She is convinced that you can tell a person's, gender, their weight, their height, race, there are companies now that are trying to figure out diseases based on voice. In fact, there was a company in Israel that is looking at whether you can tell whether people have COVID based on their voices and taking samples. Emotions is an interesting area. Rita Singh and others believe that emotions may be culturally biased in terms of how we designate them. And ironically, that's the area that marketers have fixated most on, emotions. But there are people who really believe that you can target somebody based on so many aspects of their voice.
0: And so what does a company like Google know about our voices? Are they collating
1: our voice from different apps? For example, in Amazon, too, keep a voice print of you to to figure out who you are. If I have an Amazon Echo, for example, in my house, uh, I can have the Echo if I... Allow it to know who I am compared to my wife, for example. Uh, it can distinguish among people in the home. The question is, what will it do beyond that? Uh, Amazon has released a product called the Amazon Halo, where it's it's like a Fitbit. You put it on your wrist, you wear it through the day. It has uh, it'll tell you issues about your heart and you know your exercise, but it also has a way to figure out what you're saying to people and how that sounds to them. In other words, how do you sound to your boss? How do you sound to your spouse? How do you sound to your kids? Now, they say, and I believe them, that they don't use those data for any of their own purposes. But to me, this is just the beginning. I mean, this is a kind of proof of concept. Down the line, companies, whether it's Amazon or Google, will very much work on that. There are companies that have patents, a lot of patents in this area. Amazon and Google, I went through many patents that they have. For example, a famous Amazon one, famous to me anyway, is uh, where uh, in the patent that Amazon has, a woman walks into a, her apartment and says, <laughs> um, Alexa, tell me a recipe for dinner tonight. And Alexa says, it sounds like you have a cold. Would you like a recipe for chicken soup? And uh, the woman says, no, thanks anyway. So Alexa says, well, How about I order you aspirin? I can have it delivered by Amazon in an hour. And she says, that's a great idea. Thank you. And this notion of using the voice for marketing, it hasn't been implemented yet. But Google has other ways, other patents in this arena. For example, Google has a patent where you can figure out who is in what room in your house, what they're doing at the time based on their voices. And then have a system to control, for example, how much TV your kids watch and how much gaming they do, based upon the the system knowing where they are in the house and doing what at what time because of their voices.
0: What other discoveries have you made in this research for this book that has really astounded you?
1: Well, uh, I'm very impressed about how uh, impressed, in a kind of chagrined way, about how the advertising community is really worried about getting in on it. They're worried that, Apple, that uh, Google and Amazon are going to sort of freeze them out of a lot of the technology because they feel that they're not going to be able to be given room in the Alexa kind of smart speaker or the Google smart speaker because those companies will only give room to one or two advertisers, not a whole range. They're worried that the whole idea of presenting advertising to people is going to change in these systems and that they won't have the technological ability to compete. So they're starting their own research in this area. They're trying to figure out how to get, for example, a person to hear their product when they say, for example, Google, tell me about a mouthwash, or Amazon, tell me about a mouthwash. And they're actually doing research on people's voices to see if they can use their clients' apps on phones and websites to do the kinds of things that Amazon and Google might be able to do in their smart speakers.
0: This all coincides with a huge trend and explosion in podcasts and big developments with all these big companies really trying to monopolize the podcast sector. And you're talking about capturing people's voices. Many people are being encouraged to produce podcasts, amateurs and professionals. Is this all feeding into that
1: development? Yeah, I mean, I worry about this sort of thing. I worry about, for example, meeting places like Clubhouse and others where It's possible not for them only, although they may have the capability and may do it themselves, but others to monetize your voice. If you're tracking someone in a space like a podcast or doing something of that nature, then uh, it's quite possible that somebody can use your voice in ways that you have no conception of.
0: That also has implications for when you speak to banks and using your voice to give permission to things, surely. Oh,
1: yeah, and I don't think that's such a bad thing if it's done just simply for authentication. Uh, Banks, finance companies, stock firms, they use your voice to authenticate your existence, as it were. They can't use it only because there are some issues about maybe people can get around it, and and there's a real cat-and-mouse game between companies and fraudsters around that, but that's an area I feel if it's done properly is probably not a bad thing to use voice for authentication. the The real issue is, for example, voice for identification is interesting. There's a, a I write in the book about a an, a an experiment in New York City where a company put an Alexa smart speaker in front of whiskeys in a whiskey store in a liquor store and you walk in and the the Alexa says, what kind of whiskey would you like to buy? Whom do you want to buy it for? How often do they drink? What kind of taste do they like? And it goes through this whole branching thing. Instead of talking to a salesperson, you're talking to a machine, which in the end gives you five choices. And on the on the wall, the choices light up as the device is telling you about the choices it has concluded you would want. Now, at this point in time, uh, the Alexa can't figure out who you are, partly because of the technology. It hasn't gotten to the point to know, to be able to sort through millions and millions of people. Down the line, again, if you allow it to, and there may be incentives to allow it, it may figure out that it's I in front of all these whiskeys, and it might be able to make decisions uh, that discriminate against me or for me, that give me ideas that I may have no idea why they're giving me this because it has some conception of who I am that is not like the conception that I think I am. (laughs) All of this based upon the sound of my voice connected to other data about me.
0: There seem to be some positive aspects of this as well. You mentioned the detection of diseases. Did mm-hmm.
1: you delve into that at all in your book? Yeah, and, uh, a little bit, not much. There are companies which are really involved in trying to figure out how voice projects certain illnesses in the body. And as I mentioned, Alzheimer's in the area, they're trying to figure out a lot of, even some aspects of heart disease. And as I mentioned, COVID, I don't know how well this has been working out. There's some evidence in medical journals that, in fact, you can use the voice to plumb the body, but it remains to be seen. If if it's working, if it works, it would be a terrific advance, of course. The people in Carnegie Mellon did an interesting thing. They reverse engineered, or at least they claim to have, reverse engineered Rembrandt's voice for the Ricks Museum in Holland, Uh, and they did it by looking at the size of the larynx in self-portraits, you know, the size of his throat, and making inferences about the larynx and the whole voice box and all the aspects of a voice that might come from it, and as a consequence sort of said, this is how Rembrandt would have sounded. Of course, we don't know really whether that's true, but they argue that they've done it with live people and it works, and therefore they can tell us what Rembrandt sounded like.
0: So there's a lot of money at stake for this, for the big companies like Google and Amazon. This is one of the ways that they can maybe keep scaling up. Is that what your concern is here?
1: Yeah. I mean, my concern is that they will seduce us into accepting the idea of voice as just another way to learn about us and give us relevant products and relevant advertising, and that we will slide into a biometric era, even more than face recognition. I think people are kind of frightened of face recognition and uh, maybe it, it, it wouldn't take off the way voice will. When you talk to Alexa or you talk to Google Assistant certainly to Siri, they sound pleasant. They sound friendly. They sound not at all threatening. That kind of world where we move from a targeted world based on demographics and lifestyle and other kinds of social issues to a targeted world where we're using biometrics, parts of our body, which often don't change much over time, to to figure out who we are and what we're saying. That is problematical, I think, for society because you're opening an iceberg of issues relating to how we define people and where we get our understanding of them from.
0: And of course, the privacy issues, it's not necessary for everybody to know everything about us.
1: Right, sure, and surveillance. I mean, privacy and surveillance are often interconnected, but they're they're not always. So, for example, let's say you have a political party that wants to send you particular commercials. They can make decisions in real time about your voice and send you commercials that are different depending on what emotions they think you have. Okay, um, there are. I have this idea that that at, at one point in time, some political party will argue that people's voice prints are public for democratic purposes, You know, just like a lot of data about people in the voter file. And for voter files, they might be able to use my voice or somebody might collect voices in various places online, like Clubhouse or other meetups and use those voices connected to individuals to make inferences about them that can be used in uh, campaigns for pol- politicians as well as for um, for regular products, and then authoritarian credit ratings? Hmm? for credit ratings, credit ratings that might be dicey uh, depending on how governments in you know enforce laws, but it's possible in certain contexts. But what about authoritarian governments where they say it's not just what you said; it's how you said it. And we know that because of we can analyze your voice print. That's scary. Very scary. Let's look
0: at China and the big tech giants there, the tech giants that have globalized to some extent. Where are they with this technology?
1: Well, as far as I can figure out, they haven't monetized it yet. But I have no question that as this technology begins to get dispersed, it will. Right now, we have reports that there are Facial recognition companies in China that can distinguish, for example, between Han and Uyghur in in order to figure out who should be re-educated. I would hate to see voice be another step in that kind of direction.
0: There are a couple of other governments that, you know, the Western democracies really wouldn't like to see this type of technology uh, in their hands. Russia, Saudi Arabia, Iran, where are they with this technology?
1: I frankly don't know. And I don't know that this is, we're just at the beginning of the possibilities here. The technology for contact centers is a decade or so old. Companies haven't really pushed it very far. Uh, And so uh, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, to to point out that these technologies exist. Uh, They're right at the start. Uh, Companies have been putting in voice as aspects of their right to know us. So for example, when I started doing my research, the Bank of America has an assistant called Erica. And uh, I looked at the privacy policy and oddly enough, they didn't mention voice in the privacy policy that they could use our voice or they wouldn't use our voice. By the time I finished the book, they had slotted in voice as among the kinds of things that they could use for learning about you. Now, they didn't say what that is. Uh, Pandora also argues that it can use your voice in its uh, uh, user policies. So these are things that are just now beginning to bubble up.
0: How did you do your research? You touched on that. You looked at documentation. Did you also go into some of these companies? Did you
1: have deep throat sources? No, I didn't have any. Well, I spoke to people in many companies. I, I interviewed, I think, about 44 people many executives from firms. Uh, I interviewed people from Amazon. I interviewed people from not from Google. I interviewed uh, people from the auto business because automobiles are beginning to use a lot of these technologies. Uh, and there's a real struggle between conventional, uh, um, auto voice companies like Serance, which is really has a history. First it was called nuance of, of, um, Doing work in the auto business for the uh, entertainment centers and the other kinds of things on, you know, on screen in, in the car. But now Google is deeply involved in this, trying to take over that business to a large extent, and Amazon has its its interest in this too, because everybody knows that the auto next to the car, next to the house, is a major place where people talk and do business, as it were. Plus, oddly enough, and maybe not so oddly enough companies like General Motors see self-driving cars as a place where people will sit and do entertainment because they won't have to have their eyes on the road. And once you have that voice becomes really important, Uh, natural language processing, what people say to the car, what people say to the entertainment system. But then again, what can we infer from what they say about what they want now about what they want in the future? Not just from what the words are, but the emotions and the linguistic syntax of what they say. When does your book come out? Around May sixteenth. It's Yale University Press, and it's going to be an audio. Also, you can listen to it. Ironically, hardly <laughs> enough. <laughs> So I think the person did a good job. My wife says, I should have done it myself, but I think my Brooklyn accent invalidated me.
0: How can we take your work further? Because clearly this is something that will be of grave concern to many people, including people who've accused the companies like Google and Amazon of becoming so dominant in industries that they've forced the smaller players out.
1: I think the key is to keep an eye on it and to try to make sure that it doesn't happen, to... to, To make sure that our politicians understand the gravity of this and to put it in the larger perspective, this is about our bodies. Okay. Prior marketing activities were about companies telling stories about us through labels that they created based upon what we do, what we come, where we come from, where we are now. The next step is biometric, telling stories about us based upon what our bodies say. Do we really want that? That's what we have to talk about to our politicians and to understand that that's the next step in marketing if we're not careful.
0: You are listening to Professor Joseph Turo, Professor of Media Systems and Industries at the University of Pennsylvania's Annenberg School of Communication. jackie cameron if you enjoyed this rqi podcast and would like us to alert you to future episodes subscribe to the rqi newsletter at paintedwolfpodcasts.com we also welcome news about your research that you would like us to showcase on this show you can contact me jackie cameron at jackie at paintedwolfpodcasts.com until next time